what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is it, Chris, our year-end extravaganza. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of obligated being a film review show. We kind of have to do one of these at the end of the year where we talk about what we liked through the year, what our favorite ones were, blah, 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 all that stuff. So we're going to try to make it as entertaining as possible. I like the topics that you have posed for us to try to match up our recommendations for the film for the year. So we're going to do that here later on in the show. But okay. before we get to our wrap-ups, yes. we are going to do some quick reviews of several movies that have just been released in the last few weeks that we want to go through. Uh, the latest Hobbit movie. What's this one called? Uh, Desolation of Smile. Oh, yes. Rolls off the tongue. That's yes. it. Uh, Anchorman 2, mm-hmm. Enough Said, and Philomena. So a nice variety of films for us to talk about. Okay. Uh, after we do our quick reviews, we will be crossing one off of my embarrassing movie <laughs> list, films I have never seen. I will be crossing that off the one listed It's a Wonderful Life because we did see that at a screening just last night for the holidays. We're going to talk about it for a few minutes as well. Does it still hold up for you? And for me, first time seeing it, was it worth the hype? Then we're going to have our year in review as we go through all of our topics and categories, looking back in the year in film that was 2013. And uh, I think that'll be a nice full show for us there, Chris. What do you think? Sounds like we got plenty to cover. Perfect. So let's get ready to get started here on the Mesh.TV with Foot Candle Films, your uh, podcast show of all about films, movies, discussions, and whatnot. I'm Alan. This is Chris across from me. Chris, how you doing? I'm in the midst of a cold, but Santa and his sleigh have dropped off some medication, so I'm, I'm bouncing back. You're doing okay now? So. Yes. Well, good, because we're going to need you for this show. we got okay. a lot to cover, a lot to talk <laughs> about. So let's go ahead and get started with our first review, which will be The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. Or Smog. Smog, Smog. Got it. The dragon. My dear Frodo. You asked me once if I had told you everything there was to know about my adventures. Well, I can honestly say I have told you the truth. I may not have told you all of it. Bilbo Baggins, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. So Chris, with The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, which I just like saying, which is I fun, mean, yeah. fun to say. <laughs> I... Okay, let me let me kind of back it up. I, I did not see this film. You did, so I'm going to ask you some questions about this. Gotcha. Uh, I did see the first Hobbit movie, An Unexpected Journey. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, yep. that is the title. And I really did admire the three Lord of the Rings films. Okay. So I'll go on record as saying that. I did enjoy those films. The first Hobbit movie was okay. It was actually good, better than I expected it to be, but not still the level of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the original trilogy in my mind. Got you. So I have not seen this latest one yet. I am interested in seeing it. Tell me, Mr. Fry, should I see this film or is it one of those where it's kind of the middle movie in a trilogy and not a whole lot happens and I could almost skip to the third one and uh, close this thing out? It, I, You know, it all comes down to, I think if you're a fan of fantasy novels or movies, then yeah, you probably want to go see The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. I read the books, you know, a long time ago. 
You're um, one of those reading people. I am one of those readers. And I mm-hmm. saw the original trilogy, and I thought they were a little long in parts, but overall, you know, I was happy to see it because it was something from my childhood. They'd finally, like, taken the time to make movies of it. And I was like, well, okay. They were okay. They weren't my favorites. Hmm. Um, but they were okay. Um, you pretty much don't like any film that's over 89 minutes anyway. So. That, that, <laughs> that can be a problem. That's a warning yeah. sign. This one specifically, as we've discussed, I was really cranky that it's mm. the shortest book of all four of the books. If you take the original Lord of the Rings You're talking book, about The Hobbit as a whole. Hobbit, yeah. uh, those four books, the shortest book is The Hobbit, yet they took that and split it up into three movies. I still which, don't understand that myself yeah, either. But, which now we're on the second one. Right. Um, so to me, this basically, and I just recently watched the first Hobbit, caught up with it, so I'd be ready for this one. You know, it's basically the same thing. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously the story is progressing, but it just seems like it's more of the same and um, it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. The acting's fine. Some of the special effects sequences specifically, there's a spider sequence and mm-hmm. then there's a sequence with the dragon smell. It's like in his layer per se. Mm-hmm. And there's all this gold running around. He's kind of like chasing some of the dwarves and Bilbo. It's entertaining, mm-hmm. but it's just so long. And it was, I went to see it with my son and my daughter and my wife and we were walking out and I was kind of asking him because my wife and my daughter were just like, eh. right. <laughs> they weren't yeah. really that into it, which no surprise. But my son who was, had been really keen on seeing it. He said, you know, why didn't they just end it? I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a very good question. <laughs> I mean, he's talking about ending it instead of going on to now to a third, a third movie. movie. Yeah. Because even, you know, he was looking forward to it, but he was just, it was so long. Why didn't they just end it? Yeah. Um, because this movie ends right before a very pivotal, pivotal thing happens, which will probably be solved in the first five minutes of the next movie. Yeah. So then why do they need a whole nother third movie? So I think, you know, well, that's been a criticism kind of on this latest trilogy is again, it taking a shorter book, making it a trilogy seems like just such a cash grab is all yeah. it is where the movie could have been a three hour movie and still covered the whole book pretty easily. So it's really been padded. It's really been hyper extended here. Huh. And I guess that's my whole issue with it is I really thought the first movie, I enjoyed it, but it could have been a lot shorter. Right. Um, so even though I'm not one adverse to long movies, I have no problem with that. I don't like long movies for the sake of just making it a long movie. It needs to be long for a purpose and a reason. I felt like the Lord of the Rings trilogy yeah, they're a little on the indulgent long side, but I enjoyed it for the length it was. Sure. It's just they needed to pare it down the same kind of scope to the Hobbit and make it worth, you know, the actual weight of the novel. So it's not a bad movie. I wouldn't say run out and see it. You could probably wait and see it on Netflix or Redbox. I think the people that really want to see it in a theater are the huge fans. If yeah. you're a huge fan of these movies, well then yeah, you're going to want to see it. You know, you've sure. probably already seen it, but um, in general, yeah, it was just an okay movie. Okay. Movie from Chris Fry. All yeah. right. Well, like I said, we got a lot to cover. So let's kind of hop right oh, yeah. into the let's next one. On. <laughs> let's talk about anchorman Two. the legend continues. In the seventies, they were an elite unit with names like brick champ, Brian and Ron. They rose like the phoenix, and then they were gone. Their legend became but a whisper, told by the trees, until now. We're starting a 24-hour news channel, and we want you. I'm going to do the thing that God put Ron Burgundy on this earth to do. Have salon-quality hair and read the news. Alan, you went to go see, I believe, a midnight screening of Anchorman. No, too? it wasn't no. actually. It was a it was a uh, nine p.m. screening oh, the okay. night before the opening ah. day, which is really strange that for our theater strange. to have available. I kind of stumbled across it. 
So normally when I make an effort to attend movie screenings like that, it's because of a movie I'm really looking forward to, or mm-hmm. I want to see it before it's spoiled for me or. Yes. So with Anchorman 2, you are a huge fan of the original? Yes, I am. Okay. So knowing that they'd made a sequel, were you scared that they were making a sequel? Or did you yes. feel like it was going to be in good hands? Because it's, you know, basically the same people are involved and they yeah. waited a while. Yes, yeah. on both fronts. I was equally scared and nervous as well as feeling somewhat confident with the people that were involved in it. Um, I'm glad they waited as long as they did to make the sequel because it didn't feel like it was just a let's rush out and do it. But, you know, honestly, the first Anchorman really didn't do as well in the box office when it first came out. It mm-hmm. was not a huge raging success. It's been one of those where just people watching it on DVD, watching it on cable, gotcha. whatever, now are starting to really appreciate it more and more. And it was one of those films where I saw it in the theater. I really liked Anchorman, mm-hmm. but I didn't love it until I'd seen it the third or fourth time on DVD or something. So did you come out of this movie enjoying it as much as you've been enjoying all the commercials that Ron Burgundy's been doing? The over oversaturation of promotion for this did also have me very, very worried. Sure. I can say, though, with confidence that the movie's worth it. Okay. I think the movie is extremely funny. Okay. I think, to some degree, it may be a little funnier and better than the first one. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think they go incredibly absurd in many places, and it works really nicely. It's a typical uh, Will Ferrell and uh, Adam McKay, I think, is a the director. They work together on so many films. And you know, you look at films like Talladega Nights, the original Anchorman, Step Brother, some of these other ones. There's always that point where the movie drags a little bit. And this one had a few dragging moments as well. But they were short. They were few and far between. For the most part, it was a very, very funny movie. Hmm. I was watching in a very small theater. These are just people who happened to find out about the early screening and stumbled in there for it. Okay. People really ready for this uh, this movie, and I think uh, a good time was had by all. No, no, it was packed. It was was a very small theater. I mean, you only had 50, 60 seats in it maybe or so. But no, it was very, very funny. They they did enough callbacks to the original where, you know, it's still the same people, the same characters, the same world. But they didn't rely on repeating everything from the first film, which is what I was always worried about. It's kind of like the Austin Powers problem. Exactly. <laughs> that I just I knew there was going to be a moment where they were all going to get together and sing Afternoon Delight again. Uh, but they didn't. And it was great. It's like, okay, let that be the first movie. You don't have to try to recreate this thing. Right. But – they did take one element from the first movie, and I'm, I'm glad they did, although when it started, I was nervous. The big climactic, well, in this movie, it's a more of a climactic battle scene between all the different news teams. Right. That happened about midway through the movie in the first one, and gotcha. it was one of those classic scenes that everybody remembers. Well, it started up in this movie, and immediately when it started, I thought, okay, here they go. They're just going to rehash this. But what they decided to do, which I thought was genius, is take it and ramp it up to 11. I mean, it was just hmm. insane okay. <laughs> what they threw at it. So I think it was more that mentality of we have to do this because it's just people everybody's going to expect it. it, but we're just going to make it absolutely insane to the point where people are going to be like, what is going on? And I think that worked really well. Huh. Um, Did Well, that's, that's a scene that's good to hear, I guess, because that sounds funny. And yeah. I didn't see it in the trailer where – Something that worried me. I liked the first movie okay. Mm -hmm. I was curious that they were doing a second one. And I saw some of the trailers, but I've seen so many. And I feel like I've basically seen the movie. Because the shots that I've seen were very funny. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see the movie and be bored. Well, yes. There are some of those points where you've seen it in the trailer. And, you know, if you've seen all the trailers, all the commercials, you have seen a a decent little-sized chunk of the movie. But I will say that the scenes that we see in the trailers – 
are generally longer in the film and gotcha. they're more involved. So there's more to it. It's okay. not just the one little scene you're used to seeing. I would just say if you, if that style of humor, you know, the original Anchorman or any of the Will Ferrell comedies, uh, if that's your cup of tea and you really like the first Anchorman movie, I think you're really going to enjoy the second one. It did not suffer from the comedy curse of the sequels. Okay. I think it at least matched the first film, if not possibly exceeded it in a lot of ways. And unlike, you know, the hangover was kind of something of diminishing returns. Whereas I don't know that many people who actually saw the third movie. Would you be interested in seeing an Anchorman three? Or do you feel like, you know, it was good. They waited for a sequel. They've done it. But now I think they've kind of, it's got to be a case by case basis. I mean, if they waited another 10 years and, uh, you know, all of a sudden the team's wanting to get back together and it's the same people behind it. Sure. I'm, I'm sure it could be hilarious and funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more of those that I think we, you can tell the difference between a comedy sequel when they're doing it because they really want to do it versus doing it because it's a paycheck or <laughs> cashing off on the immediate success of the first movie, which the hangover, that's what I saw it as when that first second, that first sequel came out. I mean, sure. it was so quick after the hangover came out and then the reviews were not good for it. It just seemed like, Let's just get the money in from this while we're still hot. You right. know, uh, Anchorman, you know, supposedly they had a really hard time even getting this second one approved as a sequel. It took all these years of the film, the original building up in popularity to finally get to the point where they could do it. Huh. So the fact that they've been working this hard to make this film happen, I think shows on the film as well. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, and I think, uh, I think all the characters had their moment in the sun. Everybody got to be funny. Okay. Which, you know, sometimes you have a lot of characters in a comedy where they don't get to be funny. You've got your one or two key people that get all the fun lines. Right. This movie really spreads it out nicely. All the characters have a lot of fun with it. So okay. highly recommended. Sounds good. Well, let's keep on plugging away. This next review is for a film that we have both seen uh, as one of our film society screenings. And it is the comedy romance drama Enough Said. So you're a masseuse? I am. What is it that you do? I'm a poet. <laughs> And I'm a dreamer. <laughs> no, really. I Oh, you really a poet? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. This is Albert. Hey. Hi. How's it going? You know, my friend Eva was just telling me that there is not one guy at this party that she's attracted what? to. It's okay. There's no one here I'm attracted to either. <laughs> All right. Great. Some guy you met at the party wants your number. Hi. Hi. Oh, did I get the day wrong? No. Why? Because you're wearing your pajamas? It's Sunday. I'd like to be comfortable. Oh, good. With enough said, Nicole Holofsner, which we saw her previous film, which Please Give, was a mm-hmm. foot candle film from a couple of years ago. With this film, she tells the tale of a divorced woman who decides to pursue the man she's interested in. But oops, she learns that he's actually the ex-husband of one of her new clients that she's developed. Which is not really a spoiler, although yeah. it was a little bit of a surprise to people in the theater. But I think even the trailer kind of tips you yeah, off to this. If you've so, seen the tra- right. Yeah, and – her first film, or the other film we I just mentioned, Please Give, had Catherine Keener in it. Catherine yes. Keener is in this one as well. But the two leads are Elaine Bennis and Tony Soprano. Oh, I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> no. James Gandolfini and Julia Louise Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan, going into this film, one of my things that was in the back of my mind, which probably for most people, I was wondering, okay, the body of work that I know from – James Gandolfini is mainly the Sopranos. Yes. And with, you know, with Elaine Bennis, with Julia Louise Dreyfus, same thing. It was like, I know her from Seinfeld. They so both have like, their iconic roles. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not their fault. They had huge success with it. They did. Well. But I'm going into this movie. I'm like, and I, am I going to see anything different from them? Or am I going to be able to forget that it's Tony Soprano up there or yeah. Elaine Bennis? You know, am I going to, 
before I answer how I, did you have that problem and were you able to overcome it? Uh, not as much with um, James Gandolfini. Okay. I think, I think he, I think he's able to get past the Tony Soprano bit a little better huh. uh, just in the character he played. I thought I, I didn't think Tony Soprano more than the first few seconds when I saw him. <laughs> Julia Louise Dreyfus, she's really good in this movie. I'll mm-hmm. give her that. Okay. She's still a little bit of Elaine Bennis in the really? movie. Okay. I think uh, just a little bit. I think uh, she's still got a little bit of that neurotic sense to her and a little bit, a little hyperconnectivity, hyperactivity sometimes. So that was a little tougher for me to see removed. I still saw Elaine sometimes throughout the film. Okay. Not that that's a bad thing. I like Elaine Bennis as a character as well, but I think that was a little harder to separate hmm. on her than it was with him. Okay. So. Well, I, for me, it, I was able to overcome it and I was really surprised. I've seen Gandolfini and other things, mm-hmm. um, but nothing is, I don't know the other things where he played similar type characters. Right. And in this, he, played something just completely different. a little schlubby a little you know a little homely uh and not menacing yeah oh yeah not <laughs> that at was all. the biggest thing is not at all. his other roles even though maybe he hasn't been a mob person he's been like a hitman or he's been yeah. a heavy in some sense this he was just a guy yeah he right. was a schlubby just normal average guy nothing special about him and the way that he was able to portray that and actually, you felt sorry for him at some mm. points, and I was just really impressed with uh, his acting. And actually, I mean, I guess you could say I saw hints of Elaine, but I was surprised. Like the characters of Seinfeld, the one that Elaine specifically, she was always kind of sarcastic and biting and um, very kind of self-centered. Yeah, well, and sure. This, and in this movie, um, the character she plays, she's—I felt like she was very different, mm-hmm. and she was always—I don't. I don't know, just a different tone to the comedy that she was doing. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah. So well, overall, really, I was surprised. Did you enjoy the movie? I did. And I, th- I thought it was the perfect, it was like, you know, it wasn't 200 minutes or whatever. It was the perfect mm-hmm. length. And even though in the trailer they had shown kind of like, you assume it's the big comedic moment of, oh, the discovery of, oh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I, your ex-wife is my client. Oh, you know, our new romance isn't going to work out. I felt they handled that rather well. And it didn't detract from the movie. And I was kind of impressed because a bigger comedy, a Hollywood comedy, that would have been what the entire movie was built around. And it would have played it more for laughs or not been as effective. But I, I really think that it was, I don't know, scripted and acted really well. And it just showed what I felt like was a very accurate portrayal of real life people. But instead of being like a, a mumble Mm -hmm. done by like the Duplass brothers or something, this was, the writing was a lot airier and it was a lot funnier you know but yeah. yet it still had a real life slant to it mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. really liked it well good i uh i enjoyed it as well yeah i'd say i didn't love it but i i definitely enjoyed it appreciated it a couple things about it just still kind of rubbed me a little wrong I, what are some of those well i did feel like that when we got to the point of the reveal of you know the fact that her new boyfriend is the ex-husband of yes. like her new friend and client and she's she gets at that moment, it does start to become very sitcommy where In you just want to like reach out and strangle her and say, why don't you just tell them, oh, I just found this out and play it off and you can still be dumb about it. And but at least you come clean right. instead of what she has to resort to, which is sometimes hiding behind bushes to not be seen by somebody else. And <laughs> at that point, it was for like a 20 minute block of time in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, just a little groaning having to happen there wishing that the movie didn't have to go down that path because I was enjoying it for what it was, which is really watching two 
more mature characters rekindle a new friendship and a new relationship, right. knowing that there are some external obstacles pushing against them. Her having a friendship where she's learning things about her new boyfriend that, you know, are from the mouth of an ex-wife of that guy. And it, it, it does play up an interesting situation. I think the movie was interesting enough without having to do the whole, she's having to kind of play this part between two characters so that they don't find out that she knows one another. And it just, that was a little irritating. Hmm. But other than that, I mean, other than the fact that the movie is generally a very slight movie, you know, not that there's any fault with that. I mean, yeah. it's a very simple movie. There's not a lot of high stakes to it. I mean, it's right. very, very simple. But I, what, what I did like about it, even in the simplicity of it, is it had a lot to say about how we perceive and base opinions of people based on other people's opinions. Right. And, you know, how you can form something of an opinion of somebody from just an outward movement or something you hear as a rumor or something you hear hearsay and how that does shape your opinion to that person. And it can actually affect our relationships as people that I think is the interesting side of the bigger picture of the film. Uh, even to the point where we have an example where the main character, Julia Louise Dreyfus's character is a masseuse. Right. And the running gag behind them uh, throughout the film is that she's got this one client that, you know, she has to lug her whole massage table up these big flight of stairs while the <laughs> right. guy is basically sitting up there and knows that she's coming up the stairs but never offers to help her. Sure. And that's kind of her ongoing, I can't believe this guy, I can't believe this guy. He's so self-centered, he's so selfish, he doesn't come out and help. And what happens at the end is she basically gets up the nerve to actually say to him, hey, can you come help me? <laughs> and when she calls him on it, he is so mortified that he hadn't been helping her all this time. Sure. So embarrassed, bending over backwards to help her. So basically, it's like her impression of him being this selfish, self-centered guy is just based on this one action where when you really break it down and get to know the guy, no, he's not selfish. He just was really – he just was thoughtless about it, and it wasn't a bad thing. He just never thought about it. Sure. Kind of the same idea goes with what she learns about her ex-husband – about her new boyfriend from the ex-wife. You hear these things, and how much weight do you put into it? How much do you let it judge who that person is? hearing from somebody else. Right. So it's, it's an interesting message couched in a very simple, sweet film. Um, I wish it didn't do the sitcom bit <laughs> in the middle and try to be a little more outrageous with that. But otherwise I thought the performances were great. I thought the film was fun. I liked the way it ended. Yeah. I think it had a nice, good, solid ending that wasn't over the top. Wasn't too Hollywood. It just, it ended where it needed to end. Sure. And I always like a movie that, that can nail the ending. So I wasn't as bothered, I guess, by what you're mentioning, kind of that sitcom portion. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't feel it was, I don't know, I guess because Julia Louise-Dreyfus playing Eva, I didn't feel like her character was so sitcom the rest of the time. It didn't bother me. But I can, I can see that criticism. I want to ask you, though, my if I had to say something I disliked about the film, it would be Catherine Keener's portrayal of the ex-wife not her portrayal i don't think it's her fault but how the ex-wife character was written right okay and i felt like it was too stereotypical and made her out just to be kind of the quote-unquote bad guy and i thought yeah. that a more nuanced script would have nice big big fat happy things it's some of the comedies in that but somehow give her a little bit of a sympathetic side. And instead I felt like all they did was demonize her. Well, they gave her one line that I thought was sympathetic where when she started kind of unloading on her ex-husband and just talking trash about him to Eva, at one point she stops and she says, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to do this. It's just, 
I really needed somebody to talk to. Right, that's true. And to me, that line saved her character a little bit and basically saying, yeah, okay, yeah, she's every time you hear her talk about her ex-husband, she's very down, Shaunam, she's very mean and critical. Right. But yet, you kind of get this idea that maybe he wasn't the best husband in the world and maybe she really did have a lot of pent-up frustrations and she just has not had an opportunity to voice them to somebody. Right. Sometimes you need that friend just to vent to. So that saved the character a little bit, but I do agree, and it kind of played into my criticism of the sitcom side because she's playing the typical bad character who's kind of feeding this whole sitcom situation. That I didn't like either, but it did save me with that line of dialogue from in the script there. Well, and balancing that, I thought the portrayal of Eva's ex-husband because he's in the film a little bit, and Mm -hmm. they go out. She has to go to a dinner with him and their daughter that's going off to college. I thought he was a lot more balanced. Well, he's so. more of a real character right. than I think maybe uh, Catherine Keener's character was. Sure. So, no, I think, I think it was a good, solid film. I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It was a nice little surprise. And I think uh, to take two primarily known TV actors and put them into a, a motion picture role, they both played it off and performed extremely well. I uh, really enjoyed watching them on screen together. Right. They had really good chemistry. I agreed. agreed. It's a shame, you know, James Gandolfini is one of his last films. So it was a, it was a shame in a way to watch this and see how much fun he was to watch and think, well, that we won't see that anymore. So unfortunately, yeah, because I would have liked to see what his next couple, Mm -hmm. now that he has this kind of role that, yeah, yeah, it's a real shame. But enough said. But that's uh, getting a thumbs up from both of us. Enough that's very said nice. on enough said. Enough said on enough said. <laughs> Let's wrap up with our last current review of the film Philomena. They said that you had abandoned him as a baby. I did not abandon my child. Mother! You'll be 50 today. Who is it? Uh, your wife tells me you think you're mildly depressed. Well, I got the sack. I'm unemployed. Yes, but it wasn't your fault, was it? That's why I'm depressed. I know this woman. She had a baby when she was a teenager, and she's kept it secret for 50 years. And what you're talking about uh, would be what they call a human interest story, and that's... I don't do those. Why not? You think I should do a human interest story? Chris, the film Philomena. Here's everything I know about it. It stars Judy Dench, and uh, what's the funny guy from... Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. That's all I know. What else should I know about this film? Well, okay, the film is about a woman who... Grows up in, I think, Ireland, Scotland. I'm horrible with <laughs> the countries. But anyways, she has her child taken away from her. Okay. Well, she she agrees. She um, Basically, she goes to like a convent and they help her birth the child. But then it's like, okay, she's an unwed mother and mm. she gives the child up and is not okay. allowed to have any contact with it. I see. Okay, flash forward numerous years later, Steve Coogan plays a journalist who has kind of – had problems in the press and stuff. And so he then kind of exiles himself and starts to kind of write a book or stumbles on this story and starts to write a book. The chemistry between Judy Dench and Steve Coogan, as far as playing off one another is awesome. Really? And I think it's one of the best things Steve Coogan's done because it's, it's, and he was a, um, a writer on the, on the uh, script. So I think you can probably tell that, but it allows him to be funny because I think he's a really funny guy it allows him to be funny, but also have growth as a character mm-hmm. um, because he he's this woman at first comes across as being kind of stupid, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. and kind of like airheaded, not all with it because she is older and he's just kind of using her at first as kind of a story. But he really develops a relationship with her as far as 
being sympathetic to what she's gone through Mm -hmm. and ends up coming to America with her and trying to find her son. And it's just really interesting, the story arc that it takes. And at the end of the movie, I was actually impressed with the effect of, I'm not sure whether she learned, you know, usually in these type pictures, you know, one care, both characters learn something from each other. And that's just a very stereotypical, but in this one, it seemed like what, which is refreshing she, I don't think, learned anything from him. Absolutely mm-hmm, nothing. Mm-hmm. But he learned so much from her. Okay. And it was just really, it was, it was really kind of neat. And actually, the other thing, too, is, you know, obviously, it says at the beginning of the movie, based on a true story. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, kind of does throw up some facts about things that happened. What was really cool is afterwards, I looked up some stuff because I was like, I wonder if that aspect of this is true. Because I could see mm-hmm. how that would just be added a lot of the surprises and things were actual things that did happen. Oh, good. Not just added for right. dramatic effect. I know we've talked about in the past um, movies that just kind of throw stuff in there that's not really true. Like mm. the butler had that problem. Yeah. And um, talk- So did the, uh, the, the, the sapphires. Right. The sapphires. Mm. And then um, talk to me from a long time oh, ago. Yeah. Casey yeah. Lemons like about the DJ guy. And like that, yeah. so much stuff was inaccurate. From what I could tell, a lot of this stuff was – the way it really happened. That's so that good. was That's really refreshing. Cool and really satisfying. Cause you kind of, you, know, you go into a movie and you want to like the movie, but then when you find out stuff's not exactly on the beam, you're like, yeah. Oh man. So I was pleased that a lot of this, and I would, I would encourage people. It's, it's kind of like what you said with enough said, it's a smaller scale movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not some big, huge movie that's trying to, you know, prove all these points, but it does talk about, you know, mother and family and what that means. Mm-hmm. And, so it's it's a, it's a nice small movie, and the performances of Coogan and Dench, I would definitely say, are worth checking out. Right. So. Good. Well, I'm I'm intrigued now. So, uh, wow, we just ran through four films. Which let me bad. just recap here for the audience: <laughs> four films, which all of them are getting at least a pass, if not positive, strong reviews. Hobbit, you're saying, is a fine film. Sure. Okay, okay. Well, it's it's fine. So passable uh, pass from Chris Fry. Anchorman two, I'm giving a big yes. Absolutely. Very funny. Enjoyed it immensely. Enough said. We both also enjoyed. Thought it was a really good, solid film. Philomena, you enjoyed giving a good, uh, strong advocate rating for that as well. So several films out there still in theaters to check out now if you're so inclined. And uh, if you have any thoughts or feedback on any of these four films, things that we got right, things we got wrong, things you want to argue with us about, hey, bring it on. We're ready for you. Uh, You can reach out to us by going to themesh.tv. That's the website where you can find all of the Mesh programs, including this one, Foot Candle Films. There's a nice Contact Us button on that page. You can drop us a note through that website um, and let us know what you thought of the reviews or if you have any thoughts of your own. Uh, When we come back, let's do our discussion of It's a Wonderful Life, and then we'll close out the show with our year in review. Uh, All of our awards or titles or whatever you want to call them, we're going to dish out to the films we saw this year. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We'll be right back. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show.
Welcome back to Foot Candle Films, our year-end extravaganza. We just knocked out four quick reviews for you at the first half of the show. And uh, here we are to continue our show. We've got something a little special, a little fun that we do. I think we did this with Psycho last year, if I remember correctly. Exactly. We took a holiday film that we wanted to kind of readdress and see in a, with a fresh set of eyes and talked about a little bit what our thoughts were during the, after the screening. Well, last night we had a screening of the holiday classic, It's a Wonderful Life. So, Chris, take it away. Where where we want to go with this? Well, It's a Wonderful Life. It came out in 1946. So, it came out a while ago. Yeah. Um, I've seen, you know, it aired on TV. It's like almost every year since then. It airs on TV a lot. Lots of people have seen it. It's a well-beloved film. It made, I think, Time's top ten films, of American films of all time. Right. Um, I'd seen this film before. Alan? You had not. I had not. This is, uh, I keep a list of films that I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen. And this was on the list, uh, pretty high on the list as well. And it's from a director who you've seen other bits of his work, Frank Capra. Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's kind of a, you know, big name. How, considering all the baggage that comes with going to see this film for the first time, you know, a lot of people hype it up, a lot of people talk about it. It is, you know, a lot of people's favorite Christmas movie, holiday movie. How did you, how were you able to come to this film with a kind of a fresh, clean slate? Or were you, and how how did you come away? Unfortunately, I wasn't able to come to it with a clean slate. I mean, it's just when you have a film that's as beloved as this one and has been talked about for for years and is on TV all the time, considered one of the best holiday films, blah, 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 blah. Sure. It's tough to not come into it with some preconceived notions and expectations. Right. I will say for those preconceived notions and expectations I was a little let down really yeah uh, and that's my own fault I mean yeah. it's a good film I understand people's love of the film but for me coming into it uh, some things about it kind of surprised me from the storytelling side of things okay that I didn't expect and I think that may have hampered my enjoyment just a little bit really okay. um, what were some of them well I think I was kind of coming into this thinking that a majority of this film was going to be dealing with George's possible decision to kill himself mm-hmm. and the whole what would life be like without him around. Right. Which that happens, but it's the last 20 minutes of the film, which still kind of just surprised me that we had an hour and a half buildup of watch a guy's life that starts up here and gets whittled down, whittled down, whittled down to this low point for him. Sure. So it was almost like an hour and a half of watching kind of grueling in a way. Uh, watching this character's life kind of start to dissolve around him and not from any bad decisions he's making. He's a good person. It's just bad things are happening to him and around him. Right. Um, so that was a little off putting for me. I mean, not made it, it did not make it a bad film at all. It's just, I kept thinking the whole time I was like, okay, I know that they're going to get to a point where these <laughs> angels that we meet at the beginning are going to do something to help them see a better life. And right. It's just, it kind of surprised me. It took all the way to almost the last 20 minutes for any of that stuff to click in. And then it just kind of went at a really fast pace. Sure. It's like, okay, now let's show you what life would be like if you weren't around. And it's quick hits. It's very, it's like a short 10, 15 minute sequence of that. And then all of a sudden he's back and he's happy and he's enjoying life again. So that whole ending was a lot more rushed than I expected it to be after all the buildup. Well, and I had seen this film once, but it was a while ago, okay. like probably when I was in middle school. So it was a long time ago, at least 20 years ago. Um, I, and when I saw it, I saw it on TV. Okay. So I think when they show it on TV, they do cut a lot of things out. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised watching it now, how much like alcohol and drinking was in True. the film. Cause this was made in 1946. Yeah. 
And, you know, and it's billed all the time as like a family film and people get together and watch it for Christmas. And there's a lot of drinking and problems that happen. Like he runs a car into a tree. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just really surprising to me. And I, my son watched the film last night with us and he said, he commented to me afterwards. He's like, you know, I liked it, but the guy was awfully mad most of the time. Like almost all the movie he was, I was like, well, yeah, he did have a lot of, like you referenced, a lot of things happened to him that just kept knocking him down, knocking him down. Mm. But he liked the ending when he was like running through the snow and there's like, well, yeah, oh, and he was that's the happy. classic thing. Yeah. So, but it was surprising to me reflecting on it as an adult and looking back at it that it's, I like the movie. Okay. I'm kind mm-hmm. of in the same boat with you. Mm-hmm. But what surprises me is how it's hailed as this holiday classic where basically it's like, and it's a long movie. It's yeah, over, it's, two, you know, it's two hours, 10 minutes. And so it's like an hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes of this guy just being miserable. Yeah. It's like watching Job from the Bible keep having all these horrible well, things. Happen. And the whole middle 30 minutes, like, I mean, he's oh. actually becomes, I mean, he becomes a deplorable character to some degree, not because of anything he's doing. It's just, he's just getting beaten down by life. Right. I mean, he's yelling at his kids. He's yelling at his wife. Even when uh, he starts to court his wife, there's a moment where he is just so downtrodden. He's being very verbally abusive to her and mean yeah. inside her house. And that was kind of surprising too. Granted, it doesn't make us like his character less necessarily. And in a way I did admire it that they were able to show us a, a full fledged human being that was both happy go lucky one moment and then really down on himself in life. The next that's good. You know, there's no sugar coating to it. Right. Um, it's just the theatricalness of some of those more, bad scenes where he's being more vocal and loud. And it was almost a little too theatrical over the top where I just, you wouldn't expect two human beings to talk this way in each other in real life. (laughs) Sure. Like he did to his then dating somebody he was interested in. And when he was really getting upset, he was talking very, very demeaning to her. It's just not something I saw as natural. So it was just some, some things that just didn't work for me as well in that middle section of the film. But I know that they had to get us to that point where we wanted to see him crawl back up. Right. And you kind of got to get him as low as possible for that ending to really work as well as it does. So it was a bit of a surprising movie for me. I respected and enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I don't, I'm not going to put it up there as one of my favorite films of all time. Sure. But I did see how some people could really grab a hold of it. I was just surprised that it took as long as it did to get to this, this whole motif of what would be life without, without George Bailey in it. Right. Um, which I thought going in was going to be a majority of the film. Yeah, it seems like that would be the – he kind of – in a film done nowadays, he would have his rough patch in the first like 20 minutes of the film. Then yeah. he would have that. And then for the whole rest of the film, he would be learning yeah. how it's like, yeah, it's, it is kind of a switch up of what you would expect. Yeah. So, but I will say Jimmy Stewart oh. – still really love watching Jimmy Stewart on screen. I, uh, I still – I think I said this last night. I don't – I can't think of an actor we have today that – is honestly as just enjoyable to watch. I, I was actually thinking about the same thing. I think George Clooney might be close for me. Yeah, close. close. And I mean, to some degree, Tom Hanks, I think, can play the the good guy that you really just generally want to root for and enjoy seeing. But sure. neither one is still, neither one is Jimmy Stewart yet. No, so I, um, I think he was one of a kind and just, <laughs> he was just so effortless on screen. You know, just, right. he played the affable guy. He played the cranky guy he played everything in between just so easily it's true so and he does a mean charleston too i'll say that so <laughs> I, I donna reed who i'd heard 
heard her name before and I know she had like a little black and white sitcom thing that used to run on Nick at night when I was little and I mm-hmm. saw some of that, but I, I never really focused on her. Cause when I saw it as a kid, mm-hmm. I didn't really think about it, sure. but she was, I thought she was really, oh, yeah. she plays his uh, girlfriend at first and then ends up being wife. Yeah. So yeah, I thought she was. So nice. I, I definitely don't want to come across as down on it because sure. I mean, I, it's a good film. It's a, it, I understand the appeal. I just, it was a little overhyped for me. It's one of the problems of somebody like me watching a classic film this late in my life as I've already got all these expectations built into it. It didn't quite meet the expectations I had built up for me, but I still saw it as a good film. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, okay, Chris. Yes. It's that time. Okay. Drum roll. We have completed the year 2013. As we record this on December 20th, we are days away from a brand new year. It's true. So what better way, what kind of film show would we be if we didn't do the obligatory look back at the past year and talk about highlights and lowlights and everything in between? Right. So let's do that. Okay. Chris, you, we have some categories created. Let's go through these categories one at a time, and you and I can both give our picks for those categories. Okay. Um, uh, who wants to start us off? We got our first category here. You want to um, start off that first one? Sure. So – Favorite movie theater going experience of 2013. So we're not talking about necessarily, it could be just, you know, something looked really good on screen and that made it for you or just the crowd you were with or something. So it can be more than just the movie itself. Kind of like the total experience of going out to a movie theater and seeing a movie theater. Um, what, what would that be for you? Alan? Um, well, it, it, mine's going to be a little bit of a cheat because ah, it was a film experience that happened in 2013, even though it was a 2012 film. Oh, okay. Is that, does that count? Sure, Can I do that? Sure, sure. Um, I've got to say my favorite film experience from this calendar year, me sitting in a theater, had to be our foot candle film screening of Searching for Sugar Man. Huh. Um, right. Because this is a film, we talked about it on the show earlier in the year when we, when we saw it. This is a film that does have, if you hadn't read up about the film or hadn't seen it, it does have a revelation about halfway through the film that really turns the documentary on its side a little bit more, turns it into a different documentary than you thought maybe you were going to watch. And watching this in a very full crowd theater of our film society members and everybody, not only the awes and the gasp when we kind of realize where the documentary is going for the latter half of it. But even just the music towards the end that we get to see some performances, everybody in the theater really digging the film, really enjoying it. To me, the walking out of that theater, everybody had smiles on their faces. Everybody really enjoyed the experience, really were amazed with where the documentary took them. To me, that was just – I still look back on the year and say that was a fun screening back in February of this year. Okay. Well, mine's kind of completely different. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's a more recent film. We, t- we reviewed it couple of shows ago maybe uh but it was when i went to go see frozen okay uh the newer disney movie yeah. and the reasoning behind that was i actually got to go uh opening night which mm-hmm. was kind of cool and it was a packed theater and being able to see a disney animated movie with my kids in the theater and it was kind of a return to like a really mm. good disney movie. yeah i can see that being a <laughs> with good the experience. songs and everything so that was that was kind of neat because it reminded me of like going to see Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin. Plus yeah. it was a decent movie. So um, I can see that being cool movie. because that's, that's true. I, in the time that you and I have had kids, Disney films have not been the event that they used to be back in the eighties and nineties. Right. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. I think the last one that I really responded to as strongly, but it was not a musical one was Wally. When I went and saw that one, I really, really liked that hmm, one, okay. but that'd probably be the, the lack. So frozen was mine. Oh, great. 
Um, oh boy, I get to introduce this topic. <laughs> this is this is fun. All right. Not that we want to like pile on films necessarily, but we have to, as a film show, talk about what was the worst film we believe, in our personal opinions, of 2013. Right. Chris, what have you got, man? And I want to see if you and I are on the same page. Oh, we're not. Um, and I know we're not because you liked this film. Oh, boy. And I did not. Oh, boy. Uh, my for, for me, and it just uh, worst film or worst movie for me of 2013 was uh, This is the End. Really? Yeah. I, uh, wow. It was the comedy, you know, that had Seth Rogen and James Franco and Danny McBride and you know, worst, cast of other people. Worst film of the year. And I just really, you know, purpose of a comedy is to make me laugh. And I think it maybe made me laugh once or twice, but hmm. considering I was in the theater for a lot longer than 15 minutes, um, I wanted more out of it. And I just thought it wow. was, had so much potential because of the people involved that actually it would be kind of my nightmare for what would happen with Anchorman 2 is I go in and I'm kind of like, ha ha. And then I sit there for another hour and a half and I'm bored. Mm. And this is the end. I was kind of, I was bored. Interesting. Um, so yeah, that, that I did me. enjoy the movie. I thought it was funny. So. Yeah. No, no, wow. not, for, not for me. Well, so you said you laughed once during, uh, during that film. I sure. will, my worst movie of 2013, I laughed more than once, <laughs> but it was not an intentional laugh that the movie was going for. Okay. Uh, I will say after earth was ah. the worst film I saw okay. this year. Um, I can't argue with it. It was, it was bad. It was bad. And it was just, on the surface, I think if it didn't have the pedigree of people behind it, if this was like a sci-fi movie coming on cable channel, it would have been okay. I wouldn't have been that disappointed and frustrated by it. But the fact that it's Will Smith, mm-hmm. the whole M. Night Shyamalan thing, which we've talked about in long yes. discussions about his career in general. Sure. Um, that you just blend it together. I think Will Smith in general is what surprised me the most is that this was a Will Smith supposedly blockbuster film coming out and it was really not good. Right. It was hokey. It was over the top in some places. It didn't make logical sense in other places. Uh, it just continues the downward slide of Shyamalan and really put a black eye on Will Smith with regards to sci-fi and action movies going forward, I think. Right. So to me, that was probably the worst. I have to ask just because this is such a juicy subject here. Okay. Did you have another, did you have a runner up by chance of worse movie? It, it would have been, it would have been after. Yeah. After the thing, been the thing was that, and it's all about expectations, which we, you know, hammered that out before on the show, but after earth, I kind of knew going in yeah. that it wasn't, you know, whereas this is the end had a really you know high rating. I'd heard a lot of people say they like it. And I feel like I'm one of the few people who's actually like, eh, no, I didn't, it did yeah. not work for me. I didn't like, so that kind of pushed me to do more of that because I don't want to be. I want to be different. No, but, that's fine. Uh, no, but yeah, After Earth definitely. I would not bother seeing. <laughs> well, you see, you, know, you and I are reversed because my runner-up is a film that you did like. Okay. And I did not at all, which was a glimpse inside the mind of Charles Swan the uh, Third. Um, I really didn't like this film. Um, there were at least a few moments in it that made it worth sitting through for me, but otherwise, I could have done without this film. <laughs> Just a narcissistic Wes Anderson wannabe film. I, I, I was not impressed with it at all. Right. Um, the other quick ones I'll just throw in there. Just, sure. Uh, well, I don't even remember the name of the Lindsay Lohan film that I mentioned. Oh, the Canyons. The Canyons. Ugh, that was bad. And you, then You warned me off of that and one. And then Disney's so. Planes was a really bad kids Which cartoon. Which I saw they were making a sequel of it. Yeah, of course they are. It's probably direct to video Actually, or on I think demand. it might be in theater. I don't, theaters, <sighs> I don't know. It was a bad film. So okay. anyway. Okay, next category. Next category we have is the 
a, a handkerchief moment of 2013. So basically, hey, so you mean the thing that really brought a little, tears a little tears to our yeah. eyes, a little misty and eyed right. in the theater there. So. Maybe you had to kind of you know blink him back or something like sure. that. Sure. So, I mean, that's assuming you had a handkerchief moment of 2013. Well, I had a moment where I really felt tears in my eyes at the end of the film, and it was Man of Steel, but not because any <laughs> it did anything to earn it. It's just because I, I realized see. how bad I, I really was disappointed by that film. Okay. Uh, I, I do have a serious one though. Okay. Um, the Spectacular Now. Oh, man. I wonder if you're going to choose the same one. Um, for it. Well, I didn't really have a particular scene. I think the oh, whole okay. last 20, 30 minutes of the film got me. Hmm. Um, I think between something that happens a little more on the tragic side with the girlfriend, I think uh, a, a, a discussion between the son and uh, the boy, uh, the lead character and his mother. Okay. There are a lot of scenes kind of blended together in a whole 20, 30 minute spiel that kind of got me very emotional. Okay, see, I'm, I'm surprised because I remember us discussing the movie. We both liked it, but I remember being a lot more like. You are definitely more enthusiastic about it. about it. I was a little less. I still enjoyed it, though. Sure. And I will say that it still had some of the best tear jerking moments I saw this year. And I felt like they were authentic. I'll, I'll yeah. say the one for me that I can narrow in on that was was the scene in which. Um, Miles Teller quits his job and the conversation he has with his oh, boss. Oh, I forgot about that one. With that Bob was really good. Yeah, that was man, really I'm, good. Like, I get chills just sitting here thinking about it. So that like that yeah, scene, like I've, the line that he delivers to him, like uh, I wouldn't be here if you're. I wouldn't have this problem if you were my dad. Like that yeah, was. You're right. No, actually, you got me. <laughs> that was the line right there. Yeah, very good, cool. Good stuff. Yep. Was that your moment as oh, well? Yeah. yeah. So it was. So we were on the same page now, with this it was one. The quitting scene. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, the next one, I, I love this category because I appreciate you bringing this up, Chris, uh, for us to do, go through the U-turn movie of 2013. Okay. So this idea is that this is a movie where we went in with one set of expectations and it got completely turned around by the end of the film. Yep. Either we go in thinking we're going to hate the film and we end up loving it, or we think we're going to love the film and we end up hating it. Yep. So, Chris... <laughs> What is yours? Okay, I've got two. I do I too. Have, I have one that, you know, if it's not, okay, the movie that I went in thinking would be a piece of garbage, mm-hmm. and I walked out being like, oh, that's pretty good. Um, the Lone Ranger. Same here. Oh, really? Yep. Okay. Same and here. It's just, you know, the previews just made it look so ridiculous, and, you know, Johnny Depp doing his shtick and stuff, but I, I liked it. <laughs> I actually, uh, the kids and I are going to watch it tonight. Oh, uh, wow. That's our plan for tonight. So, awesome. Because I actually, I actually enjoyed the movie. I, I think maybe going in with so much hate that you heard about this film yeah. kind of let you see past some of the stuff and just enjoy it as a fun flick. So yeah. I'm with you on that. Agreed. Um, I kind of had the Wolverine as kind of a runner up on that same side of the category huh. where I really didn't expect it to be that good. And it okay. was a lot better than I expected. Okay. Fair um, enough. Well, what about on the flip side, one where you went in with, expecting it to be good and we're really disappointed sadly enough uh my one that falls into that category is computer chess yeah i remember you telling me about that and, and just not really enjoying it you know, as a much. lot of people hype it up it's kind of a it's a faux documentary that takes place in the 80s and it's supposed to be like this computer chess tournament out in california and they shoot on i guess is it high eight cameras yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. to give it that authentic feel and it's supposed to be a comedy but it just did not work for me at all hmm. the style of shooting on the old cameras and the acting, you know, I guess you could say they were playing normal people, but it was just like, to me, it was just bad acting wow. and not bad acting on purpose, just bad acting. So do you think it's getting a lot of acclaim just because the it's format indie. and the yeah. style of it, but really at its core, you didn't think it was a really good movie? No. And I didn't, I didn't laugh that many times. Hmm. It just, it did not work for me. And I, you know, I, there again, I feel like a lone wolf in this category because a lot of the stuff I've read is all positive on it. So if you ever catch up with it, mm-hmm. I'd be interested on your take. I've got it queued up to watch okay. at some point. So I'll, I will have to swap notes on that and see. All righty. Well, the one I went in with 
high expectations but walked around extremely disappointed was Man of Steel. I mean, uh, that, you could have predicted that one from <laughs> a mile away. Sure. Uh, I only bring it up every other episode, I think, mm. while we record. I bring up Prometheus. You bring up – Yeah. I just – I really wanted this film to be good. I really wanted it. It had all the right elements. It had all the right pieces. It just – it just didn't work for me at all. Hmm. Uh, it was not the worst film of the year. I mean, I will see the film again at some point. Okay. Um, and maybe you'll like it a little more. Maybe. But it was just that experience of walking out of the theater and just being so downtrodden by it. That's, I guess, the whole U-turn we're talking hmm. about here. Okay. My only runner-up to that film, uh, To the Wonder, the uh, uh, Terrence uh, Malick film. Right. Went in with very high expectations because of how much I love Tree of Life. And I've sat through this thing. I admired the visuals. I admired the cinematography, but nothing else really worked for me that well with the film. So, okay. Well, for the next category, we have favorite use of music in 2013. Um, Alan, do you have a specific example you can call out for that? I've got, I think I'm cheating on both of these because oh, I, no. I think both of these were 2012 films. Maybe uh, yeah, it's okay. Okay. But as far as ones I saw in 2013, That's um, I'm going to say Searching for Sugarman. I already talked okay, about. Sure. I think, again, it's a documentary about a musician, so music is obviously a huge part of it. Sure. And I think that worked really, really well, the way they wove in his songs to help tell this, his story throughout the documentary. Got you. So that's more of that prominent music. And then I was going to say as a kind of a runner-up, more of the incidental music, Much Ado About Nothing. Really? It's use of more kind of contemporary jazz and just hmm. – helped really move the film along and kind of kept it very light and breezy okay. and just a lot of fun with that. Hmm. How about you? What For me, it was, um, and we talked about it on the, the last episode, uh, the music of 12 Years a Slave. I oh, really right. appreciated how that, because it used like violin type stuff, but was quirk, like, I don't know if quirky is the right word for it, but it was just odd, but yeah, it didn't totally take you out of the movie. So It didn't follow the classic, this is an Oscar movie, and yeah. we're going to have this the string swelling and orchestra so well tuned this it was much more like you just heard somebody kind of playing an instrument right you know and a little more natural sounding to it so exactly good um okay well let's talk about the big the big categories we got a few here just to kind of wrap up our year-end review uh we want to talk about favorite male performance of 2013 and we are saying this can be a lead or a supporting or a cameo or anything who, from a male perspective, do you think really knocked it out of the park this year? Well, and a lot of it, you know, unfortunately, because you see so much at the end of the year and, you know, things start to kind of blur together. But I'm, you know, I'm going to say we already talked about a little bit James Gandolfini from Enough Said. Wow. He actually, he actually is going to – and it's just because, admittedly, I really thought he was going to do Tony Soprano. I mean, I give him credit so more than that. So it was both a surprise, but, but also you think he turned in a really good performance. Yeah, I think it was a surprise, but then I was just like – I thought it was a good performance on its own. So I guess those two, com- you know, and it's a recent, recently seen movie for me. But I just, and unfortunately, it's kind of one of his last yeah, performances. So sad. I think all that combined really made me respect it. Cool. So. Uh, mine, uh, Matthew McConaughey in Mud. Um, I gotcha. really, really liked his performance I, in this film. Uh, not only from his physicality, I think just his mannerisms that he put in, but just really delivering on the scenes he needed to deliver in. I think it was a great film and I think he knocked it out of the part. It's the best thing I've seen him do. Um, I do have three runners up. Can I just oh, rattle them off wow. really quick, please? Sure. Uh, sure. Michael Fassbender, 12 years a slave. Okay. Uh, both Paul Rudd and Emil Hirsch in Prince Avalanche. Okay. And Daniel Brühl in Rush. Oh, really okay. liked his performance as uh, the competing uh, race car driver against uh, Thor. 
in uh, the movie Rush. Against so, Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he fought and almost beat Thor. I mean, it was amazing. I'll throw one out there since I haven't had a lot of double ups. I'll say um, Sam Rockwell from The Way, Way Back. Oh, I never saw that. Um, it's worth catching up on. Okay. And uh, I really liked his performance in that. I like him anyway, a lot as an actor. But mm-hmm. um, that's his performance in there was really good and kind of reminded me why I like him so yeah, much. Absolutely. So, Okay, the next one we have is to, you know, equal rights here, your favorite female performance from 2013. Alan? I, I hate saying this, but this was a lot tougher. Oh. And, you know, I, 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 I hate saying that because I'm not saying that, you know, female performances weren't as strong, but unfortunately they didn't have as many showy parts this year, I don't think, for the females. Really? I didn't think so as they did for the males. Huh. That's just my... Because actually I had, I had trouble coming up with a favorite male performance. Really? Actually. Yeah. It's wow. kind of weird. A lot of female performances strung to mind, but... Interesting. I just, the females I had to really search through to find okay. good, juicy roles that I think really qualify for this. But I will say the number one for me, and this is a film I know I didn't, just rave about when we reviewed and we've already talked about it a few minutes ago, uh, Shailene Woodley in the spectacular now. Okay. She was, she was my favorite, uh, female performance of the year. I mean, we talked about it during our review that she just was so natural and yeah. just, you know, she, you wanted that girl to be your girlfriend back in high school. <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, she really anchored the movie for sure. She did. Yep. What about you? Um, mine's going to be, I had thought about her. She's definitely mm-hmm. a runner up, but um, mine's going to be Greta Gerwig from Francis Ha. Another film again, I did not that see. movie kind of, it hinges on her. She's mm-hmm. like on screen all the time. It hinges on her, you know, her experiences in life. And I just, I really enjoyed it. And it was also kind of a discovery. Mm-hmm. I'd heard the name Greta Gerwig. I think I've seen her in some stuff before, but I'd never really thought about her. And now it's like, okay, she's somebody I consider to be awesome. I've so. got two runners up. Okay. <laughs> I will say Julia Louise Dreyfus for enough said, okay. I thought a very, very good performance. All right. Chris and Scott Thomas and only God forgives. Huh? Okay. Wow, I'm just saying kind of uh, the movie had some issues for me. We had a really, really interesting discussion about this film months ago during our, our podcast. But I will say that she was absolutely That's, terrifying in that film. And, and what's cool is you don't think of her as that kind of character. So, yeah, yeah you're right. That was a very strong, like, I thought she interesting really performance. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. I'd totally forgotten about that one. All right, we're getting close to the end here, but this is I think this is a fun fun category to pick out. <laughs> the paycheck performer of the year. Yes. What we mean by that is somebody that you saw in a film where you really felt like they were just dialing it in. They were just phoning it in, they're doing it for the money, and that's all there was to it. So, Chris, who is your paycheck performer of the year? Okay, uh, my nominee for paycheck performer of yes. the year and who is Morgan Freeman. Uh, for... I, I like Morgan Freeman, but uh, Oblivion... Now oh, you for, see oh, for a series of movies. Down. Oh, I see. You went <laughs> yeah. for the whole body of work oh, yeah. in 2013. 2013, I'm like, he's just doing paychecks. And, uh, You're so right. Obliv- Oblivion, now you've seen in White House. I did not see White House Down, okay? I will say that. So, But based on the work i could I've have seen, been awesome in White House Down. You don't know. <laughs> he could have been. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think so. Um, but I did see Oblivion, and I did see Now You See Me. And both of those movies, it's just like, yeah, he's just no, You got a good point there. I could see so, that with him. I like Morgan Freeman. I mean, he was in Shawshank Redemption, but yeah. but for a year's body of work, it did seem to be very slight performances and very one note performances. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Oh, mine's going to upset some people out there. Oh yeah, um, awesome. But I don't care. I'm Go sorry. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. in Iron Man Three. Ooh, I ouch. <laughs> I was one of those that did not think Iron Man Three was that great. Okay, I thought it was okay, but um, Robert Downey Jr. is just he's doing the same shtick. And I think he was least less uh, 
he was less impressive in this film than he he was in the other. You think it was because he's like one foot out the door? He kind of knew this is last Iron Man. He doesn't really care about the stuff. He's made his money, and he's like, I'm going to go be an actor now. Maybe a so, little bit of that. Yeah. I think it's just there again. You're in your third movie of a, of a trilogy or a third movie in a series. You're playing the same character. This is supposedly the one where we, we have more in-depth uh, exploration of Tony Stark, and I just never really saw that. I, I To me, it was just him doing his same shtick, and even when... Oh my gosh, even when he believes, spoiler, believes that his girlfriend <laughs> is has perished, he still is hamming it up and he's still doing the one liners. And it's like, mm. okay, I'm just you're just doing what people in the audience want you to do. Right. And to me that's a paycheck performance. So I can see that. All right. Alan, your twenty thirteen film that you most wanted to have seen but haven't seen it yet. Um yeah, Inside Leland Davis. Okay. Um same for me. Technically it is a two thousand thirteen film. It is released in December. We're probably not gonna have a chance to see it until January, but that is the one right there. Yeah, same here. It's a Cohen Brothers movie. I'm dying to see it. And honestly, this is gonna sound strange, but believe it or not, I'm interested to see what Justin Timberlake does. Yeah, well, I like Justin Timberlake. I, I think, think even he's though a good I saw actor. him in Runner Runner, he wasn't well, bad in Runner Runner. The movie was just horrible. But I'm interested to see what he can do. I think he's going to do a lot better in a, in a Coen Brothers film where he can poke fun at himself more and have a little bit more of a comedic vibe than some of these action thrillers he's been doing recently. And although I don't really, he's a good musician. Yeah. And this movie revolves around music. So I'm interested to see how that happens. And normally it's a good fit for an actor if they actually have some musical ability to play a musician. Right. That's normally where we see him get to shine and have some fun with the role a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, my only runner up on that is The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Oh, and American Hustle. Forgot that. <laughs> I've actually got several films I really want to see over the next couple of weeks. So, But not uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. You know, I'll see it, but... I'm not terribly excited about it. Um, it looks like it's just a little bit of an overdone puff piece mm. is what I'm seeing, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, okay. So let's wrap up with our last category. And this is kind of our, Ooh, we, no, we had two. Oh, we did. I think. Oh, we did have two. I'm sorry. I missed one completely there. Let's go ahead and do the memorable cinematic moment okay. of 2013. All right, Chris, what do you have as far as something that just really stands out to you as a real memorable moment, scene, visual, or something from a movie? This is going to come down to the dinner conversation in Greece in Before Midnight. Hmm. And that probably 15, 20-minute scene that has all these couples sitting around a table in different stages of their relationship. You have a younger couple, well, really younger couple. Then you have a middle-aged, two middle-aged couples. And then you have a couple that basically they're not husband and wife, but they both lost their significant other. And they're mm-hmm. like 80-some years old. And the different little aspects and the kind of stories they share around the table – that could have been its own like short film done by Richard wow. Linklater. It was just the writing was really good. The acting was really good. It was just, I don't know, just the rest of the movie could not live up to that moment. I mean, it was still a good movie, but that was such a cool 15, 20 minutes. It was really wow. awesome. So that's that's my cinematic movie. Very cool. Um, mine is going to be so cliche, but uh, the movie Gravity. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> just cinematically. I yeah. mean, I was just, yeah, you're right. you know, the whole opening sequence when you realize you're watching on a huge big screen and it's just this one long take. I know it's a lot of, it's all digital work. It's so it's impressive. not as impressive as a standard, a true camera one take shot. Sure. But the orchestration of it moving between the different characters and hearing the different sounds as we get closer to them. To me, that whole opening 10, 15 minute sequence getting to know the characters and kind of getting a lay of the land was really impressive. I, I, I agree. That actually is a very, as far as like looking on a big screen, that would kind of actually kind of double for a movie going theater experience, like seeing yeah. gravity. I just wish 
the story could have kept up with the visuals. Well, yeah, and you and I biggest, talked about it yeah. a little bit. I mean, we were a little let down with the film in general. I think I was, yeah, I was definitely let down. Yeah, yeah. but I will say visually speaking, uh, the opening of the film was really, really remarkable. Uh, my other, my runner up on that one is Ron Burgundy uh, bottle feeding a shark in Anchorman 2. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, always funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. now we'll do our last one. Gotcha. So. Yeah, so this one's going to be our Foot Candle recommendation of 2013. So looking back over all of 2013, what's the film that we're going to pull and be like, hey, you know, you guys should seek this out. You probably haven't. You, even if you have heard of it, maybe you haven't seen it, but we want to say of all the films of 2013, seek this out. What's it going to be for you, Alan? It's got to be Mud. Okay. Uh, when I went and looked on Letterboxd, where I log all the films I see and I give them the star ratings and all, and I sorted from top to bottom star ratings – the, the the most recent film I put up there with a really, really high rating is Mud. Okay. Um, Matthew McConaughey, I think, is amazing in the film. I really like the stand-by-me kind of uh, two young kids kind of growing and experiencing things as kids. That whole thing just worked for me. Gotcha. It had enough mystique and mystery, and I like the setting in the South. Um, yeah, it just, it just completely worked for me. I really, really like this film. Well, for me, it was a film we've already talked about. Uh, Prince Avalanche. And oh, that yeah. was the one mm-hmm. that it was kind of neck and neck with mud, but Prince yeah. Avalanche is the one that I feel like people should try to seek out. And have Paul Rudd, Emil Hirsch as right. uh, two guys working uh, a road. I mean, basically painting lines on roads after, lines in a, a road. part of Texas where there's been some wildfire. And uh, what was, you know, there's had some dramatic elements. There were elements of humor. And then also the cinematography of David Gordon Green was just kind of what elevated it. And the fact that it, Sentimentally, it was a return to form for him to yeah. some of his earlier it's works. A much that better kind of film than what he's been turning it. out lately. Yeah, good. So, Mud and Prince Avalanche. Yes, and I'll throw in as a runner-up. No, the oh, uh, Gail okay. Garcia Bernal uh, movie that we screened earlier this year. Okay. Uh, some films that probably didn't get as much attention at the Cineplex as they should have, but we are saying you ought to definitely check out Prince Avalanche. I believe is on Netflix right now, if I remember correctly. I think maybe it is. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Mud, I believe, is you can watch it now on on demand, you know, so. iTunes type of thing. And no, maybe there as well. And I think all three of these are once enough time has passed since sure. they were released, you can see all of them online at these at this moment. So those are the ones we think you ought to check out for sure. Um, Chris, we did a lot during this year in extravaganza show. It's four amazing. four current movie reviews, uh, a flashback review for It's a Wonderful Life, and then a whole bunch of year end accolades and awards to give out so we're going to say sayonara to 2013 at this point except when the oscar nominations come out in a couple months right i'm sure we will be dedicating some of our show at that time to talk about the nominations which will all be for this past year so we're not done with 2013 quite yet but as far as we're concerned let's go ahead and start talking about some new films coming out in the next few weeks here and reviewing them in january uh, and, you know, who knows, some of these last minute releases on Christmas Day or afterwards That's right. may displace some of our awards. We may have to come back and do a little re-edit of these recognitions. Who knows? Could happen. Uh, you've been listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. This is our podcast network where you can go and listen to all the shows for not only this show, all the episodes we've posted, or go and listen to any other Mesh TV show. You've got business shows, lifestyle, uh, sports shows, everything in between. 
So we encourage you to go check it out at themesh.tv. Post a note, let us know what you think, and uh, spread the love and subscribe to us on iTunes and make sure that you get every new episode we put out for free coming right to you. Um, and then if you want to learn more about our film society, you can do that at footcandle.org. That is our film society where we uh, talk about the films that we're screening here in the Western North Carolina area, post some reviews, and we also have posted episodes of this show as well. So for all of that, I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks a lot, Chris, for a great year on Foot Candle Films. It's been fun. Yeah, look forward to a good 2014 coming up. Take care, everyone. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.